Hello and welcome to the Guernsey Press Sport Podcast. Coming up this week, we'll look ahead to the Olympics in Tokyo, where three Bailiwick stars will be flying the flag for Guernsey, including, for the first time, athlete Cameron Chalmers. Keep listening for a full interview with him. We'll also reflect on the first half of our Top 100 Cricket Countdown and find out who makes Rob's all-time Evening League 11. And we'll check in on the latest with Interinsular Sport and the prospects for our island sides getting ready to compete, they hope, in English leagues. I'm Tony Kerr and with me today I've got Rob Batiste. Hello. And Gareth Deprevo. Hi, Tony. Uh, great to see you guys. Um, before we get on to our picks of the week, let's get to that issue of sport and travel because it doesn't seem to be going away. Um, it wasn't that long ago, was it, that we were looking forward to some of the island's biggest sporting events returning to our calendars. Uh, dates had been set for the Siam Cup, the Cricket Interinsula uh, and the CI Golf Finals, among others. Uh, the golf has already been pushed back, a decision imminent on the Siam and the Cricket well, looks quite unlikely to go ahead now, at least on the 21st of August. And as I say, league seasons are looming too. Uh, Most pressing, I guess, is Guernsey FC, uh, who are due to begin their Isthmian campaign on the 14th of August. Rob, what's the latest there? Well, um, there was a a big meeting last evening, Wednesday, of all the Isthmian Central Division secretaries, secretaries plus the uh, main league officials, by Zoom. And... As far as Guernsey FC is concerned, it would seem that now that their season has been delayed by a couple of days short of a month, um, they were due to start with a couple of away games. One of those games is, um, would have been off anyway because Whiteleaf have now withdrawn from the league due to their financial problems. Um, so Guernsey will now start, touch wood, on the Saturday 11th of September against Hanwell Town at Foots Lane. But... Whether that goes ahead or not, who knows? Um, really, you'd be a brave man to say yes. Um, but I know Mark Letitia, the GFC chairman, is hopeful, but as he openly admits, they're very much in the hands of the health department and Dr Nicola Brink as to what um, will be allowed. We know that there was a straw poll taken at that Zoom meeting um, on Wednesday amongst the officials present uh, as to where they stood relating to their players in terms of vaccinations because as things stand it's pretty likely that to come and play in Guernsey whether it's football rugby tiddlywinks um, that you will have to be doubly double vaccinated um, and the feedback was that some players are double vaccinated some have not yet had any and some may refuse to do so. Um, so, what next? I don't know. Um, there's a new. Um, they've decided as a league that there will be lateral tests, lateral flow tests, um, being taken 48 hours before all games. Um, whether that it will be sufficient to satisfy the Guernsey Health Department. Again, who knows? They've got very pressing um, decisions to be made and actions to be taken at the moment. So GFC are waiting their turn, along with Guernsey cricket and presumably rugby as well. Um, it's all up, all up in the air. Um, will we get a Isthmian League season completed? My guess is, well, it's not a guess. I've just got a hunch that we won't see it out. I'm sure Isthmian League will go ahead and be completed, but with what's going on in the UK at the moment, I've just got a 
sneaky feeling that Guernsey FC will not complete their season. I mean, there was uh, a charmed, probably two-week period at the start of the summer where things looked very straightforward. The sort of roadmap for Island Sport was was being sort of laid out in front of us. It was all very exciting. I mean, it, Gareth, do you think it's fair to say now that things look about as murky as they have done at any point during this pandemic? Well, just things seem to be on a downward spiral at the moment, Tony. It's um, sort of last weekend when I was uh, doing the uh, CI. Um, sorry, the senior golf finals, and we're, I'd just been told that the CI finals had been postponed, and they were very clear to me that it was only a postponement. It's not a cancellation as yet, but they were talking about, you know, Jersey were going to be bringing over 20-odd people to come over this weekend for the CI finals. And, I mean, as soon as I was told, I was sort of like, oh, is that only just come through? Because it's pretty obvious it wasn't going to happen as well. So, yeah, it's um, it's one of those things that, like you say, it was looking very promising probably the start of sort of June or what have you. And now... Um, I'm, I'm looking down our diary sort of every week thinking a lot of the stuff in here is going to have to, have to be crossed off yet again. It's so, so disappointing, really. Yeah, quite. And I know that, you know, as you say, some of these events haven't been called off. They've been postponed, but there's not a big window, is there, to get them in, you know, if things do improve or, or if the situation um, becomes more feasible into sort of September and stuff. Certainly for things like cricket entrance or golf finals, um, Siam Cup, it's, it's sort of yeah, a very small window. Well, yeah, I mean, to be honest, golf could be played all year round. So, I mean, you, they can come over here in November and it'd be cold and perhaps wet and windy, but they could play golf. Um, but like you say, the actual sort of golf diary at Lancres and the Royal Guernsey, they're, they're very packed out. So actually now finding another window, because this window had been set aside for the CI finals, that will take some doing. So, um, yeah, if they do happen to go ahead, it could be pretty late and sort of probably well into autumn by the time they actually get played. Yeah, and obviously we, you know, we all get very excited about these these big fixtures. We can't wait to see them back, but you know, they're not the be all and end all. There would be a boon, perhaps, if GFC, you know, if the, the, there is a delay, that means that those players we might see turning out for pre league sides at the start of the season. One would hope so. Um, yeah, there's a bit of news on that as well. That Dave Rioi, who is still um, aims to become be a Guernsey FC regular, um, has decided to sign for Belgraves and go back to his. He's one of his early clubs where he had a lot of lot of um, success there, um, which is a um, I don't want to say it's a surprise, but certainly a, a bit of a, uh, a a dent in the hopes of Manza raising a side for this year's Premier League campaign. As we know, we, Manza are in the dock at the moment, um, relating to um, claims of tapping up. I. What exactly the state of play is there, I don't know. They were seeking clarification from the GFLM as to exactly what they'd done. Um, and there's likely to be an appeal. Um, but, you know, Dave Rioway was a regular in the Manza side last year with Craig Young very, very unlikely to play due to injury. Um, makes you wonder what they're going to be left with and um, whether they actually will... You know what's hanging out around them at the moment. Whether they actually do take to the pitch in a couple of weeks' time in the Rawlinson, I hope so. But um, it doesn't look too good at the moment. Yeah, not far away the return of, of domestic football. It's not been a very long break, has it? <laughs> I'm not sure if you can call it a break. To be honest. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, we'll watch that space, obviously, with interest. Um, let, let's get some highlights of the week, some positive stuff. Uh, Gareth, anything caught your eye this week? Well, funnily enough, one thing that did, 
was one of our sportsmen um, going away travelling. The fact that uh, Daniel Griggs managed to get away for the Senior Open qualifier, which was played in... Uh, he went to the one at Hindhead, which is um, one of the best courses in, in England. Um, and although, obviously, I wasn't there, but they do live leaderboards and what have you, and uh, I went on there just to find out how he was doing. And then all of a sudden, you just start noticing names on the leaderboard. You know, Philip Walton. I thought, well, Philip Walton was the European Ryder Cup hero of 95. Surely, that's, is it the same bloke? Oh, yeah, it is, yeah. And then Clayton Blackmore, the Man United player of the 80s, was playing there. So there's some. you sort of start looking down, and there's some quite sort of familiar names. And I thought, oh, well done, Griggsy, for going and actually giving that a go. And, I mean, he shot a 78, which, um, judging by the scores, there was only three people who broke par. So that was a really, you know, it's a decent effort. He hasn't managed to get through, but it was uh, really good to see one of our sort of Ireland's sportsmen going away and competing in, in a competition like that. It was really good. Yeah, very good to see that, uh, Gareth. Rob, your highlight? <laughs> well, Tony, it has, to, it has to be the performance of a um, young rifle shooter, Freddie Stewart at Bisley this week, um, competing in the Lovell event over a thousand yards, which is... Um, more than 100 yards, fur well, sorry, 400 yards further than the longest range at Fortland Marchant and a distance which um, the Guernsey lads rarely shoot at. He um, managed to get himself in a tie shoot, um, which is absolutely brilliant effort. Um, and his performance really in, in matching and beating um, some of the top people um, in, in the sport was a keen eye guess to something like Will Bodkin beating Mo Farrow and, every, and the best distance athletes from across the Commonwealth, Australia, New Zealand and Canada. It really was that good. Um, subsequently, he didn't win the tie shoot, but he finished fourth. But, you know, given the level of quality of um, shots at Bisley, which is the top meeting of the year, um, it's a brilliant effort by a up-and-coming young Guernsey shot. Yeah, congratulations to him. The, uh, the slight laugh at the start was because that was your, your third attempt at, uh, it was. at describing that <laughs> success. <laughs> the magic of editing. Yeah, there. exactly. Um, <laughs> now, that is exciting. We're going to talk about the Olympics in a moment. Is that the sort of competition that, and I don't want to sort of heat pressure on anyone, but is that the sort of competition that leads to representative shooting down the line? Yeah, but um, obviously Guernsey um, wouldn't have a team at the Olympics, rifle shooting, they would have to, he would have, anybody would have to get in the Great Britain side. And as I say, the Great Britain marksmen historically have been absolutely top notch. Um, so to get into to the Olympics, I think would be a really, really tall order. Well, it sounds like yeah, the odds would be perhaps uh, still a, a against him, but best of luck and um, very much the odds have been against uh, the Olympics that are, that are coming up uh, over the next couple of weeks. But uh, we've got three Bailiwick stars there. In a moment, we'll be hearing from one of them. Welcome back to the Guernsey Press Sport Podcast. Now, as I say, against all the odds, the Olympic Games get underway officially in Tokyo on Friday. A year late, of course, still called Tokyo 2020 and still facing all kinds of issues, not least the lack of support seemingly uh, from the Japanese public. It will be an Olympics like no other, but it does go ahead and we have three bailiwick representatives to get behind over the next fortnight or so. Quite remarkable, really, when you think about it. Uh, two of them have been there and done it before, Sark own Carl Hester indeed is the most experienced athlete in the Team GB squad at Tokyo his sixth Olympic Games and not just that he's also the oldest member of the squad having turned 54 in June 
Uh, Heather Watson, meanwhile, is competing at her third Games, testament to her longevity at the top levels of British tennis. And last but not least, Cameron Chalmers is ready for his first Olympic experience, having been eyeing it up since breaking through uh, to the top British ranks just after the last Games in Rio. Rob, as I say, it will be a very different Games. Uh, how do you feel for the athletes, particularly those like Cameron, uh, who are reaching the pinnacle of their sport for the first time? Well, I'm nervous for him, to be honest, and nervous for his family. Um, whilst um, Heather and Carl have both experienced Olympics before and know the thrill, and it was a completely unhindered Games, they experienced everything that goes with the Olympic Games, including the ceremony, opening ceremony, closing ceremony, the big crowds, the atmosphere, etc. Poor Ohm Cameron's gone there, having to wear a mask most of the time, it would seem, stuck away, um, trying to keep away from COVID. It must be absolutely uh, nightmarish, to be honest, nightmarish existence, um, where you are, you've done so, so much over a long period and you've got these dreams and then potentially it could just be taken away for you so so easily um and through no fault of your own um i feel really sorry for him because it must you know the fact he's also he's going to if he does get to compete there'll be nobody in the stadium apart from those ten thousand olympic committee officials which i talked about last week because uh, i'm sure many of them will rock up <laughs> um you know it's it's the atmosphere is not going to be particularly great um as I say, I really do feel sorry for him because it could be so. It could. It, it will be special for him. It will be an all. You know, a memory he'll take to his grave with him. But it could have been so so much better. Yeah. Well, we'll see how it pans out. I mean, there seems to be a lot of moving parts on the ground, as you say, the jeopardy around it, particularly for for athletes, but also, well, even more so for the media. I think quite a lot of them are being locked up for for two weeks. You know, you've gone I all think, the way out there. Yeah, you know, I, I think a lot of the public cover, but... will say that's where they deserve to be. <laughs> <laughs> Well, as I say, we'll see how it pans out. Um, it gets underway with the, well, some of the sports, of course, have already got underway, but the, the official opening ceremony is on Friday. Uh, well, let's hear from Cameron Chalmers now. I spoke to him just before he headed off to Japan, uh, where he seems to be acclimatising well, and began by asking him just how excited he is to be part of it. Yeah, I'm really excited. Um, and, you know, it's just been a bit of a whirlwind of the last couple of weeks, really, because, you know, since running the trials and then getting the phone call and getting the nod to go out there, it's just been all go with trying to sort things out and, um, you know, obviously still maintain good level of training and keep myself physically prepared, but also deal with, you know, a ridiculous schedule of COVID tests, um, you know, and paperwork and all the rest of it that sort of, you know, is involved in having to go out there, at, you know, for an Olympics sort of a amongst a pandemic in that sense so um yeah it's definitely a unique experience um and you know i just have to try and um you know enjoy it as much as i can i think it would be great to get out there and then you know sort of feel really real and just need to get my body feeling as best i can for you know the races which will come around very quickly i'm sure yeah, I mean, that, that's it. In terms of the, the backdrop to the whole Games, it, it's been obviously fairly complicated. Um, it feels like it's been in doubt, you know, almost really up until the last minute. Um, yeah, how much have you paid attention to that? Have you tried to kind of just sort of put it out of your mind a bit and focus on actually the opportunities that lie ahead? 
Well, my old coach sent me a message of, you know, halfway through this season said, look, Cam, like everything's on until it's off, um, which is the attitude I've just had to sort of adopt and, you know, and go for. You know, obviously there was going to be a season either way. Um, whether there was going to be at the Olympics at the end of it um, was sort of in question, like you say. But yeah, it's um, here we are. And, um, you know, I'm sort of glad I stayed prepared and ready and, you know, did my best because the opportunity has presented itself and, you know, I've made the team now. So, um, you know, I'm so pleased it has gone ahead and, and that I'm on the on the team list um so yeah just can't wait to get out there and uh yeah sort of make it a, re- a real reality yeah I bet I mean yeah as, as an Olympic debutant obviously you don't know what to expect at all anyway so it's all going to be new and exciting whatever it looks like uh just how does it feel to yeah to be on the cusp of becoming an Olympian I guess that's something that you've probably thought about for uh, a long while certainly in the last few years uh, possibly as it's become sort of a, a more realistic ambition yeah I think I definitely I had my breakthrough um into sort of the level of which where I could you know really that is a realistic aim in 2017 obviously the first year after an Olympic cycle um and then sort of ever since I've sort of been at that level where you know I should be in the team or be capable of making the team um yeah it only comes around every four years and I've had to wait five <laughs> so, um <laughs> So, yeah, it's definitely, you know, in that time I've gone to Commonwealth Games, European Championships, World Championships, um, you know, so I think in some respects it has all happened in the right order. Um, and here we are sort of, you know, about to head out to the Olympics and, and that's the pinnacle. So, yeah, to, to go out there and be on the team is fantastic. And, you know, fingers crossed I get to run and it, it's a good experience. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely a culmination of sort of all those years and all the hard work. So, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Can you remember uh, as a youngster ever looking at the Olympics and thinking, that's something I really want to be involved in I know you sort of played a bit of football when you were 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 much younger and then you know obviously you found athletics um yeah when you were a kid was it was it something you aspired to yeah I mean uh, my first memories of the Olympics was watching Usain Bolt in 2008 in Beijing break the world record in the 100 and 200 and you know that was obviously stunning and you do it once a year at school sports day sort of thing and you know I did enjoy it um as much as I then quickly started to dread it every year because I got roped into doing the 400 which I happen to be quite good at um um, so yeah of all the things I could have been good at it it turned out to be that which is obviously quite painful uh, of all the events but hey ho um (laughs) and um and yeah like it was as you say I was football mad until I was about 16 um and then sort of got into my athletics um you know to sort of in sort of the football off season to get really fit and fast and you know um help my football in that in that way um but actually realized quite quickly that I really enjoyed the the athletics and you know, I was really good at that I was pretty, you know better than I was um at football anyway and I think when you start anything new you sort of see quite a quick progression um and I think that was really appealing to me and I really enjoyed it um and yeah obviously it was, it was, as with everything and anyone you have your ups and downs and there were moments where I was ready to pack it in just because I'd had injury after injury and um I'm glad I didn't (laughs) so yeah here we are um and I don't think I'll probably appreciate in some respects how far I've come um you know until it's sort of all said and done like get a minute to actually collect my thoughts because it's just been all go 
Um, but yeah, looking back at, you know, where I started and then the Island Games and how big a deal that was in Jersey and I won that and, you know, getting my first GB junior vest and, you know, I remember getting that phone call at school and walking home just thinking, wow, you know, I just, just this is amazing, you know, and here I am sort of about to head out to an Olympic Games, you know, you sort of think, actually, this is that's actually quite a big deal. Um, so, yeah, I've obviously worked very hard over a number of years to sort of get to this point. It doesn't happen overnight, um, believe me, but... Um, um, yeah, I'm very proud and I just want to go out there and you know do my best and try and enjoy the experience because you know it's um, it's not often these come round if ever. So uh, it's sort of, I know it's quite cliche go out and try and enjoy yourself, but I do really want to try and savor the moment and, and yeah try and make the most of the experience. And of course, there's going to be a couple of other Bailiwick sports people there um, who've seen it all before a few times. Heather Watson and, and Carl Hester clearly in very very different disciplines. Seeing them compete at previous Olympics, Lee Merrion as well um, in 2012 as that as a Guernsey athlete did, did that kind of spur you on to think well this is actually possible I can do this because um, you know it'd probably be easy you know here in Guernsey sort of shut away from that kind of real high level sport um, for it to feel quite a long way away yeah I think sometimes especially you know obviously it's a small place and um, you know it's very easy to just get comfortable and, and perhaps set your sort of goals and sights you know sort of a little bit lower than you know perhaps people in a sort of bigger pond in that in that regard um i think going over to training in the uk has really helped um you know sort of broaden my horizon in that sense but um you know i think i'm still very happy at home and i'm very proud to be from guernsey and i'm i'm very much out there sort of i'll feel like i'm representing guernsey as much as i am great britain out there and you know um, it'd be fantastic to join those lists of people like you say that have gone there and done it and you know if i can um you know make anyone else feel like uh you know i did in terms of you know, wow it is possible and you can actually set your sights that high um you know then i think that's that would be a great thing and i think people should because it we've got great setup at guernsey um, especially in athletics um, you know it's definitely punches well above its weight in terms of you know the sort of size of Ireland we have you know just with facilities coaches opportunities and if I can you know um, feed into that or you know help in that sense then you know people it's obviously one step at a time you want short-term goals along the way but it's you know um, once you start ticking them off you're getting closer and closer to sort of you know the big ones and that's how it worked out for me so um, yeah just very excited to go out there um, as a, a Guernsey lad and and do my best yeah that's oh, great to hear and in terms of the uh, you know the, the the business side of things on the track do you know yet whether you'll be you know on the track for the for the men's 4x4 there's a mixed relay as well which is new this year which I know you've talked about as something that you know you'd love to be a part of yeah, I mean, they obviously haven't like picked the teams for who's going to run in what yet, but um, obviously I hope to be involved in both. Um, you know, I want to run as as much as I can. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll have to wait and see until we get out there and then they'll see how people are going in the sort of holding camp. Um, and then, yeah, as always, they pick the team pretty last minute. Um, uh, but yeah, fingers crossed my name's one of the first on the team sheet and, you know, I can get out there and, um, you know, run as fast as I can. <laughs> What's it going to be like being part of that that? GB athletic squad because uh, um, there's some you know some big names in in the in the setup and I mean I, I suppose as well to be part of the, the wider team GB setup do you know how much you'll actually be able to interact with kind of you know the other other parts of the of the team Yeah I'm not sure uh, in regards to that to be honest I mean obviously I've done a lot of major champs before um, but that's been largely just athletics it's sort of the only thing I I suppose I could remotely 
um, sort of compare it to would will be the Commonwealth Games because that's a multi-sport sort of global event. Um, but you know, the Olympics is sort of that obviously that next level. Um, and yeah, it'd be fascinating to see sort of what that Team GB environment is instead of sort of the British athletics environment. I mean, it, it's good because they've taken a lot of the same support staff you know it's pretty much is sort of british athletics um you know based physios medical team all that coming out as part of team gb so it's you know as athletes it's good to still have those keep that sort of stable environment that you've been working with over the years of you know out there so that's a really good um you know decision and, and thing they've done and um but yeah of course there's going to be other sports going on around you and, and things like that so yeah you sort of forget you get very focused on your own um your own goals and, and your own sport and, and as you should because it's you know you've got a job to do but um yeah it'll be it will be fascinating to see everything else sort of unfolding um you know, it's uh, it's a massive event, and I don't, I've never been to anything as big, so it's it's going to be really interesting to see what it's all about. So yeah, I mean, obviously, the, I've been out to Japan before for the World Relays event um, a couple of years ago, and the jet lag was pretty brutal. I found that tough, um, so I'm kind of expecting that. Um, so I just need to try and get, yeah, get my body feeling as good as I can and get into the sort of time zone. And as you say, then it's obviously the weather and the, cli- um, the climate and the heat as well. So there's obviously quite a bit of adaptation to sort of to do when you get out there. So I imagine that will take a week or so in reality. Um, and then, yeah, get a couple of decent quality training sessions in you know with some good sort of therapy just to get my body feeling really good and then yeah before you know it will be transferring across to the athlete village um and then fingers crossed competing so yeah i'm sure it'll all happen very quickly and you know so that's why i just (laughs) need to obviously take what i've learned having gone out to japan a couple of years ago um and try and apply it best i can but yeah it's um it's a challenge that everyone's gonna have to face um so yeah We'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll have the best support possible and just need to yeah, do my best in every sense. You've picked up some really good experience over the last few years. You've, you've yeah, pretty much been to everything part of the Olympics now. Um, what, what do you expect to feel like when you're uh, hopefully um, either you know, well, leading, the, leading the, the, the four out or, or wherever you kind of sit in that relay squad, um, knowing the eyes of the world are on you uh, and, that, and that race and that evening and that stadium. Um, yeah, from, from what you've kind of experienced so far, what, what do you expect to feel like and how uh, sort of what, what's your approach to handling it, I guess? I think I, I definitely expect to, f- to know it's an Olympics um, and, you know, I don't know what that feels like yet. And, um, you know, I'm sort of hoping that that, if anything, sort of, allows me to sort of elevate my performance um you know with that pressure you know i think that is important to um you know to almost be nervous and to to care that much kind of thing you know it does hopefully makes you run faster um but yeah, in in other senses, it's still a 400 meter track. You know, it's the same as Foots Lane. You know, it's it's a 400 meter run. You know, I, tra- I train on a track all year, so it's it's very familiar in that sense. It's obviously you're just racing against the best in the world, and as you say, everyone's watching. So yeah, obviously um, it is different, but. Uh, I know what I'm doing and how to execute a good 400 meters so I think it's about just focusing on that and you know controlling what I can control and trying to make the best decisions with all that experience that I've gained um you know and fingers crossed it it goes well and it is a good experience um but yeah obviously I'll do my best and um yeah just looking forward to seeing what happens really have you allowed yourself to dream about a medal hanging around your neck when you come back uh I mean you know there's always a chance I think the, the, the thing will be if, if we can if we can get into a final then suddenly you've got a chance and anything can happen especially in relay events and and sport in general you know you just 
it's, it's there's a lot of pressure it's a big event and you know it's um it's not just who's the best team it's who can handle themselves who doesn't make any mistakes and so you know you never know um it would obviously be just ridiculous uh you know even just to be going is is something else and i'm still trying to process that but yeah the thought of making a final or let alone getting a medal would be yeah i mean um we'll see i'll do my best and yeah i'm sure it'll be sure it'll be great if uh you know <laughs> the better we do the, the better it'll be i'm sure <laughs> brilliant well uh everyone here will wish you all the best i'm sure there'll be a lot of eyes on the tv screens when you're out there so uh yeah great to great to catch up thanks for your time cheers mate Cameron Chalmers speaking to me just before he headed out to Tokyo. For him, uh, the mixed relay, which he's hoping to be a part of, of course, um, the heats for that are on Friday the 30th of July on the first day of the athletics competition with the final uh, the next night. Uh, the second medal's up for grabs on the track just before the women's 100 metres. And the men's 4x400 metre relay, the heats are on Friday the 6th of August with the final uh, the next day, the very last event on the track uh, on the Saturday night, the men's marathon, the only athletics event which uh, takes place after that on the day after. For Heather, she's up uh, in her first round singles match on Saturday. She faces Germany's Anna-Lena Friedsam. Uh, Heather ranks 68 in the world at the moment, so the Germans 119. So on paper, touch wood, uh, a generous draw for Heather in the first round of the singles. Uh, for Carl Hester, it's a long week, isn't it, in the dressage? Those events spread across the first week, Saturday to Saturday. Um, so plenty uh, to keep an eye on there. Of course, we wish all three of them the very best and we'll be watching their progress very closely, won't we, guys? Not two o'clock in the morning, I'm <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the time zone isn't necessarily the kind no, it's not it? very favourable. I think Heather's first round match uh, is scheduled to get underway about 3am on Saturday morning, so... Um, I should be tucked up in bed. <laughs> okay. well, we'll see. <laughs> we want to keep Jamie, I think, to report on <laughs> Um, well, let's move on and talk some cricket then, because if you've been um, if you've been picking up the Guernsey Press over the last couple of weeks, you you kind of missed uh, the cricket 100 countdown. In fact, with the hundred competition getting underway in uh, in England uh, this week as well, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a sort of you know a writ being served by the ECB for for copyright infringement here. <laughs> uh, but anyway, it's continuing a pace, isn't it? It's a bit faster than the football one. We're getting five out a day at the moment and we are about halfway through and uh, yeah Rob um, what have you made of the reaction so far um, the only reaction I've had to be honest <laughs> is one or two negative ones I mean um, but never mind we won't go into that there's always good, you can't satisfy them all I'm afraid um, yeah we'd be going at five a day um, but once at the end of this week we will when we get down to number 25 uh, we will then continue one per day to the to the bitter end when we reveal who Guernsey's all-time top 100 cricketer was um it's been fun you know it's been great looking through the um, the, the records the old Elizabethan records the GICC records going back to pre-war um and then the evening league stats um and weekend stats of the last 60 or 70 years um yeah without john moutford his his work we you know it would have been so so much harder um and i think when 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 we people see the top 25 they all recognize that every single one there was a really really top class cricketer gareth any of the names that have popped up so far have caught your eye or brought back fond memories uh, well, yeah, several have, Tony. This week it sort of um, it almost coincided very well with uh, Liam Livingston hitting what they've called the sort of the biggest six ever seen for England. Um, 
Uh, it was pretty much the same day, I think, that um, still playing, G.H. Smith appeared in our top 100. And I was actually saying um, at the KG5 that night, um, I think G.H. hit probably the biggest six I've ever seen in domestic sort of competitive cricket. Um, very early on in his career, when he moved over to Guernsey, he hit one which hit the top of the trees at the de Beauvoir end at the KG5, and it was still rising. If the tree hadn't gotten in the way, it, was, it would have finished up in Summary Park, I think. It was absolutely <laughs> huge. And uh, that bring, brings out more fond memories of when um, our colleague Aaron Schoons used to work with us and used to bowl for overs, and we used to say, um, GH used to keep hitting him into the next parish because at Portsmouth you bat in uh, Cattell and the car parks in Vale, and <laughs> GH used to keep depositing him in into the car Car park. So, um, yeah, there's some good memories there. Um, but no, it's, it's great to see that some of the names come out. And um, I, I think I almost get more pleasure when I see my dad's reaction to some of them. Because he's obviously got a far longer memory than me. And um, he, as Rob said, occasionally he will mutter just something like, oh, I thought he might have been higher. Yeah. <laughs> From his memories, he was certainly um, he was lording over the um, ability of uh, Keith Howick to me, um, the, the Elizabethan, the old Elizabethan great. And my old man just just said all he did was score runs. He just scored so many runs. Um, but no, I think it's 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 been a really great exercise, and it's it's nice to see the the reaction that people are giving. Yeah, Keith Howick's performance um, at the college was particularly in his last year when he was captain. Absolutely astonishing. Nine hundred runs, hundred plus runs, forty nine wickets. Absolutely outstanding captaincy. I mean, Jack Reddish, um, who was the college coach at the time firmly believe that he was the best captain at any level in Guernsey cricket when he left and obviously he played for Oxford University played in the same team as Imran Khan um, um, didn't get his blue at cricket did at hockey because um, he was obviously a very good player he was a monster of a bloke Keith Howick uh, didn't belt the ball around all over the place um, like you might imagine he he would have done. No, he was, he was very much an accumulator with amazing concentration, um, big forward front foot player, um, terrific player. He would have been much much higher in this list um, had he come back to Guernsey and played any really um, form of cricket after his university days. But he didn't. He chose to stay in the UK, uh, made a very successful career, I believe, in in, in the city. Um, um, but, so, but for that, he would have been much, much higher. He would have been... He, he's one of Guernsey's all-time Guernsey best cricketers. But in terms of the way we scored this, you know, he didn't feature very, very strongly in certain areas. Um, and that's where he's down where he was. And the research that's gone into this list, of course, has been thorough. Um, I guess not not as, not as much statistical uh, kind of data available like we had in the football. No, one. no, it's not as been as comprehensive as the football. And in fact, in certainly in one instance, um, since we've actually published this person in the top one hundred, I've been sort of flicking through more papers and looking for more information about people who who were coming up. And suddenly found ah, someone's like he's got hundred there, and he's got hundred there. Ah, you perhaps he was a bit better than um, than um, I imagined but um but I'm afraid that's inevitable we have we you know we're not in the situation position where we could spend months and months and months of diligent research on this we um you know it's um it, it's pretty quick fire to to a certain extent um but um I believe that what we what we'll come up with would be pretty 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 thorough. That's oh, good, though. It leaves it open a bit, for a bit yeah, of fun. debate. And I know amongst your research, you've uh, you've dug out uh, a 
GCB handbook from, I think, 1989, is that right? With a list of, at that point, the all-time Evening League 11, as picked by you and a few others. Yeah, um, I was asked in 1989 to, as one of five people, to pick an all-time Guernsey Evening League side or post-war side. Um, And I've been studying this week because it just so happens, I think, this evening may well be the very last Evening League cricket match I cover. Um, in my time at the press and um, so looking really um, at how that team of 1989 stands up what 30 odd years on and um, I've sort of revisited that best evening league side and um, it, to be honest it's, there are seven, it's, it's quite, quite similar seven, seven or eight change, um, survivors and um, of the modern players only w- one makes the team um, and even he has only played probably once or twice this season um, that's Tim Ravenscroft now most of the players I picked in 1989 I'd still say were the best evening league players Certainly, that that team was picked very much um, as um, performers on hard tracks. You know, in those days, it was all hard mat wickets, um, pretty bouncy as well with it. But um, I think the players I've got, where they'd play, they'd be the best where they're playing on on hard mats, grass, putty, <laughs> sand, whatever. You know, no, they were all class players. Well, give give us your eleven from nineteen eighty nine then. Well, I made a complete change at the top of the order. In 1989, the two best were Tony Taylor and Alan Lewis, which who were brilliant players and undoubtedly were the best players at the time. And it just so happens that all five of us in 1989 picked the same two openers. But I would have to replace them, I'm afraid, um, with Lee Savanagh and Tim Ravenscroft, um, two players with very strong Hampshire connections, um, great players um, in Guernsey Evening League. I mean, um, I'd, I'd, I'd expect Lee to be there, open up and, you know, ask him to stay the whole whole 20 overs and I'm sure he would get a very big score. Um, you know, he's been one of our very best players. As for Tim, well, Tim would go for it. Um, he's one of the most spectacular batsmen we've ever seen over here. Um, you know, he's got all the shots in the world and um, I think they would make a very good opening partnership. And in, certainly in the case of Savs, um, he would probably be, be in my side for his first change bowling as well. Um, middle order is much much the same. Um, I've included in 89, Robin Russell, Warren Barrett and Brian Preston. They're still there, but I did make a change. I brought in Paul Wakeford. Um, to bolster the mid, the middle order if it needed bolstering. I mean, Wakey's um, performances when he was a young man coming out of the college for Pessimists initially and then Pilgrims, then later at Kobo, very, very impressive. Scored a lot of runs consistently, hit the ball hard, very competitive individual. Um, and I would have, I'd pick him by all-time t- all 11. Um, and he'd bat at five behind Robin Russell at three and um, Brian Preston at four. Now, Brian Preston, former Bowcamp teacher, top player, top player, uh, pessimist, year on, year out. Um, um, at six, I'd have Warren Barrett. You can't leave Warren out, absolutely top player. And he'd be one of my two spinners in the side. Seven, and my left arm spinner and left arm bat, Ralph Anthony. And then... Captain in the side at eight, 
Um, and I gave a lot of thought to this one about the captain. Um, I wondered John Ramscoff was really inspirational when he came into the came back to Guernsey for a short period, um, and cap, you know set pessimists alight again in the late eighties. But um, Ricky Mills, what he did for Rovers, he was a brilliant captain. Really read the game very very closely, um, knew the game inside out. What batsman how they could play, you know, knew the weaknesses and strengths of every single player and was also a very capable player himself. Left, He'd be my left-arm crafty seamer. He would, you know, he could bend the ball around corners, Ricky. Um, fantastic safe pair of hands. Very, very capable bat, but I wouldn't expect him to bat in this team, to be honest, be honest in a 20-over in a evening league game. And then... Um, my wicketkeeper was a was a quite a difficult choice because back in '89 I picked Mike Webber, and on those really hard bouncy p- pitches, um, I think he was the best choice. But um, revisiting it, um, and with the quality of the side we've got here, and the fact that we've got Ralph and um, Warren as my two main spinners. I don't really need a batting batsman wicketkeeper in the side. So who has been the best local wicketkeeper, out-and-out wicketkeeper? Forget about the batting side of things, and it would be Justin Furbrush. So he'd be my wicketkeeper. And then my two spearheads would be Creed and Dobson, as they were in 1989. Um, Dobson, um, absolutely amazing bowler. Really, really was fantastic bowler. Particularly when he was... Um, in probably the f- in the aged eighteen to twenty five period when he you know came in, come out of the college he was no huge great shakes at the college he was a good bowler but in domestic cricket thereafter I mean he was absolutely fearsome very very quick very very nasty bowled huge in duckers um, several times he went through Jersey batting lineups. And he was so accurate, bold Yorkers all the time. He gave you so little. Whilst at the other end, Andy Creed was off a short, pretty short run, six foot five-ish, got the ball to bounce a lot, very, very aggressive. And he hated being outdone by his teammate, Miles Dobson. So, and likewise, Dobson hated being outdone by Creedy. Um, really fed off one another. Um, he may not have been the best bowler around, but I think in terms of evening league, um, his concern, on, on, on the matting wicket with his height, I'd, I'd pick him. I'd pick him. So a few there that stand the test of time uh, and a few names that we'll see towards the top of the countdown. Well, I'm not going to give any clues away. <laughs> <laughs> be quite surprising if some of them didn't make it now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as you say, Rob, potentially then your last evening league game as a reporter then uh, yeah, tonight. How's yeah. that going to feel? Well, it's, I was saying to my wife at lunchtime, it's, it's, it really is incredible to think, you know, it's after, what, 23, 44 years, that this could be the last time I go to a KG5 as a in a working capacity. And we were sort of talking about the how what was involved in 1977 when I started and the press was still in Smith Street. It really was a real slog. We wouldn't get in back into the office till about 10 o'clock. Um, I used to be driving here and around the island with my then fiancé um, in my little Riley elf, picking up score books from 
we obviously with the KG5 where I'd been, or OP it might have been at that time because KG5 was probably out of action. Had to duck, duck in down to Victoria Avenue. I used to have to go through the gate there. Cause um, Mr. Waterman's Rottweilers <laughs> to stir. <laughs> so get the book out the gate of the Victoria Avenue. Quick nip out there before the Rottweilers might escape. <laughs> Um, then head down to the Milder Cartray, where was two matches were being played down there, and the score box in those days was right the far side of the ground, down by the trees. By then, it might be dark, particularly towards the end of the season, it was starting getting dark, so I get in the car, park up, look at the lights face, um, bushing, <laughs> facing the far side of the field, and then head down towards the score box, get the two box, Unlock it up again, race back, jump in the car, then go to um, Delancey Park, where there was another another school, um, school box to open up, or it might have been the main um, pavilion then, changing rooms, and then head into the office to, to actually then write a report and key in all six school boards for the next day paper. We were there till beyond midnight, you know, it was a real slog in those days. Um, when you look back at it, it's quite fun. Um, but I wouldn't fancy doing it now, that's for sure. And it was to get worse, because when we got to seven divisions, of course, we used to have to throw in some Peterport school to visit as well. Um, and, of course, the next day we had to take all the books back. <laughs> <laughs> so mileage how many times a week was this? This was five days a week. Yeah. This was five days a week. Not that I worked every night of the week, but that's what we had to do in those days. Um, when you think it was incredible, really. What an effort, yeah, unbelievable. What do you think now that everyone just sort of taps a couple of, uh, you know, taps a couple of links on their, on their phone and, and gets a live score? Yeah, some people still can't fill those in. But, <laughs> yeah, so. but it was um, so much different in those days. And, um, you know, you get up, one of the things I can always remember is heading up to um, either Delancey or Lamada Cartra in those early years and coming across the Olsen Samson's cricket team, who were one of the best teams you ever club teams you ever like to come across. They'd be still there in semi-darkness, sitting on upturned beer crates, sopping, sopping away on their IPAs or their VBs, just chatting about the game. Dave Bacon and um, the chap Walden, Smiler, and oh, it was they were really great. Great bunch of lads, and um, that's how evening cricket used to be. Yeah, amazing era. Um, I mean, you know, from what you've seen this summer and the, the way things are going, are you encouraged by the, the current state of things? Um, you've got to be encouraged by the, what you see at KG5 in terms of a facility compared to those early days. I mean, KG5 was pretty ramshackle for a, long, a lot of that period, those early years. Um, the facility is absolutely stunning. The outfield stunning. You couldn't ask for anything better. Um, the game has changed so, so much. I don't think it's a fair contest it was um, back in 1977. You know, I think I wouldn't want to be a bowler nowadays. Um, but I have to say, whilst there is a lot of good batting that goes on, there's a massive hitting aided by some pretty tasty um, pieces of willow. Um, I think the I think the standard of particularly um, pace bowling in Guernsey cricket at the moment is not particularly great. Um, there are one or two exceptions to that rule, but I think um, 
it needs to improve. And I think once we get back on to um, into international cricket, playing jersey, etc., I think um, I worry that some of the people who have been scoring a lot of runs may well suddenly think, "Wow!" Um, when they come across bowlers who who are pretty quick, put it um, do a bit with the ball at a very good pace and are accurate. Um, we just don't seem to. I don't know the reason for it, but we are not particularly strong in the seat, you know, the fast medium department, as I say. Well, I'm sure we'll uh, get plenty more reflections from you, um, you know, over the next uh, few weeks, months, and yeah, before you uh, bow out, Rob. And uh, yeah, I want to be following the uh, top 100 countdown over the next couple of weeks as well, as that reaches a conclusion. Um, just but quickly before we go, anything to watch out for this weekend? GCA Cup starts, Gareth. Yeah, in terms of well, in terms of cricket, GCA Cup does start. I mean, obviously. Before we meet again for a podcast, um, the evening league title should be decided because um, uh, Griffins play regulars in their last game next Wednesday. Um, if Griffins win that, they will be crowned champions. If they lose, the regulars then have to play Indies the, on the following Friday, um, in which case it could end up going down to net run rate. But I'd, I would back Griffins to, to win next week and seal the title. So that's obviously um, the big event in cricket over the next week. Um, but there's plenty on this weekend, that's for sure. I know that there's the Ireland snooker finals are coming up and um, also the uh, Guernsey Open tennis is on as well as the two-day um, sand racing event. There's plenty going on and I'm looking forward to sending Jamie to all these different places. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know it yet, but there we go. Well, thanks very much, guys. Uh, yeah, plenty going on. Um, we'll see you next time. Uh, in the meantime, do uh, follow Guernsey Press Sport on all the social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at GSY press sport is where you'll find us and do pick up a paper every day for the very best local sports coverage Uh, thanks for listening see you soon Cheers. cheers